0: Open up your Bible, if you have one, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Sarah read from Mark chapter 12, but also we see in Luke chapter 10 a similar type of passage. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you all. We have uh, quite a number of guests that are here this morning, and and you should just know that uh, this is an amazing place. This really is. The people that that are a part of this church family are really uh, fantastic and and, uh, smart and... um, Good hearted and uh, just amazing and and uh, I'm really trying to be really nice because last week I said a couple of things that that made some upset some people Uh, I said for instance I said I was in a series of life's most important questions I suggested what I feel like is one of life's most pressing questions which is why would anybody own a cat and uh, and you know, of course, there's people I've said, and then I made a little bit of a, a funny, unplanned about millennials and how they can be difficult. And most of you are millennials, uh, and so I realized, like, I went home like, uh, wow, I may need to update my resume. So I did, and while I was updating my resume, I was actually thinking about this concept of an unresume. You ever heard this concept of an unresume? So an unresume. It was a dark moment during the week, actually, when I was thinking about this. I was a little down, it was cloudy outside, you know. Um, And an unresume is basically where where you list off all the things that you would not want somebody to know about you, because if they did know it about you, they might not love you or hire you, you know. And I was thinking about this idea of an unresume, and my mind started going to this really dark place. Raise your hand if you've been there. Okay, yeah, all right. So I started thinking about all the things in my life that I've done that I would not want to put on a resume because surely they would would, uh, would mean that I am unlovable or that I wouldn't get whatever job I was wanting to. For instance, when I was in the fifth grade, uh, I got caught stealing uh, from a convenience store, Beef Jerky. That is a true story, and I don't know what got into my mind, but there was a convenience store down at the end of the block... And I went down there with like a gym bag. This is no lie. I went down there with a gym bag, and it was just me and the, the uh, convenience store clerk. We were the only two people in there. And the beef jerky was near the video games. That's back in the day where you had to like go to the convenience store, you know, to, to put a quarter in and play video games. And I don't know what got in my mind, but I thought, I really want beef jerky. So I took this gym bag and I went over to the beef jerky, unzipped it, and I was just putting beef jerky in the bag. And I got caught. And the reason I got caught was because it was reflecting uh, through the windows, you know, where the drinks are. And the guy was just sitting there like this. And I started walking. And he's like, young man, get over here. Anyway, so I did that. I'm not proud of that. I don't want that on my resume, although now it's forever going to be on the web. Um, When I was in the sixth grade, I snuck out of the house to meet a girl. Um, In the seventh grade, I tried out for the basketball team, and I did not make it. I failed. In the eighth grade, thank you all for being here. I'm already feeling better about myself. Um, in the eighth grade, I went to juvenile court, actually, uh, because of uh, I did some vandalism. And apparently, uh, the government does not like it when you knock down an entire block of mailboxes. And, uh, and I thought it was cool. But uh, anyway, so... So I won't go through every year because truthfully, there are things between eighth grade and now that would be far worse than these. And so, but you know the idea of an unresume. So if you did that, if you, if you wrote down and listed out your unresume, all the things that you would be terrified of somebody knowing. Things that you've done in your life that you've failed at, that you've been embarrassed by. Sins. Let's just call it what it is. Things, things in your life that you like, if you, if somebody knew this, you would truly believe that they might not love you. Here's what I want you to know about your unresume this morning. This is the kind of church this is. This is the message that we preach. You could list it all and you're still loved. You could list it all and you're still loved and you're loved by me but not perfectly because I'm not perfect but you know your love by God this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about loving your neighbor but it needs to begin with us getting warm to the idea or having a stronger sense in this moment of the fact that we are able to love others only to the degree that we recognize that we are loved by God unconditionally without reservation, without hesitation. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In other words, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus so that your unresume would not keep you from being able to enter peacefully into his presence. We're gonna talk about loving your neighbor. 1 John chapter four, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us so right from the beginning i want you to know that you're loved and some of y'all got a real real jacked up (laughs) unresume some of y'all have some darkness in your past all of us do but i want you to know that you're loved this morning the greatest demonstration of god's love for you was sending jesus And so uh, Jesus came to earth. And while Jesus was on the earth, on more than one occasion, he was asked by people that were genuinely interested in what he had to say, like the passage that Sarah read in Mark chapter 12. This was a a scribe that was curious about what Jesus thought was the greatest commandment. And then there were other times, like in Luke chapter uh, 10, that Jesus was asked the question by someone who was trying to trip him up. And And the question is, what is the greatest commandment? This is incredibly relevant for those people during the time that Jesus walked. Certainly, it's relevant for us today because those Jewish religious people, they had read the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament, and they they identified over 600 individual commands. And so, some of the discourse that happened during that day among religious people was, which of these commands is the most important? And so whenever Jesus, who was becoming more popular as a rabbi, as someone who had insight into God's law, to the Old Testament, as he became more popular, people wanted to know what he thought about which is the greatest commandment. And so Jesus responds with uh, these two commandments that are a summary of all the commandments. And the first greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with your whole being. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind. And then the second greatest commandment, according to Mark chapter 12, verse 31, which is what Sarah read, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This verse is found in the Bible eight times. It's very important. And so Jesus summarizes the entire law of God in just two sentences. There is no greater commandment than these. And here's the thing about love. Every person needs to be loved, right? Every person needs to be loved. Deprivation can come in many shapes and forms. A lack of food, diseases, maltreatment, and abuse. There's some of the ways that we would think if we were talking about deprivation. But did you know that a deprivation of love can be just as deadly? There is some research that was done by a man by the name of Dean Ornish. And he put it in a book, and it's a national bestseller called Love and Survival. In the book, Ornish presents study after study demonstrating that love is a chief influence for mental, emotional, and even physical health. He summarizes the unexpected message of the rapidly accumulating body of data in these words Anything that promotes feelings of love and intimacy is healing. Anything that promotes isolation, separation, Loneliness, loss, hostility, anger, cynicism, depression, alienation, and related feelings often leads to suffering, disease, and premature death from all causes. Modern science is now proving through some controlled studies that human beings are literally engineered for love. We're made for love And it's as if our DNA contains this message. You must love and be loved in order to survive. So the main idea of what I want to tell you today in our remaining moments together is this. We all need love and God gave you neighbors to show the love. We all need love and God gave you neighbors to show the love. So when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, it, as I mentioned, he was asked this a number of times, and Mark 12 was fairly positive. Luke 12, uh, the, the, the person, a lawyer, stood up and put him to the test, the scripture says. No offense, lawyers, you're a good one. This guy was a little bit, sounds like, uh, trying to trip Jesus up. He, he put him to the test. He wanted to trick him up, trick him. He said, what shall, what shall I do to have in- inherit, uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, asks him back a question. Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer responds, because he knows you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. But this isn't really the main part of this passage. The main part is the next verse, because the lawyer, looking at Jesus, having had his question answered, Tries to justify himself. What he's going to do is he's going to try to find the easiest way to obey these commands without really giving very much to the neighbor. In verse 29 of Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible, open it up or you can use it on your smartphone. Luke chapter 10, verse 29, he says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He didn't want to simply obey the command of Jesus to love his neighbor. He wanted to find the minimum amount that would actually count as obedience. But here's the thing. When you're following Jesus, the more you follow him and the more you understand God's great love for you, the more you'll want to maximize the amount of love you show your neighbor, which is one reason I started out by just saying, you know, you're loved because it's true. And the more you believe that, the more you'll want to obey these great commands of loving God and loving your neighbor. Well, Jesus is humoring him. He's going to answer his question in the form of a story. And in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10, he begins to tell the story. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. Raise your hand if you've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before. Yeah, a lot lot of you have. It's familiar to you. So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this stretch from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a 17-mile road that descends 3,000 feet and it was a place known by robbers or known for robbers hiding along the way. So it was not uncommon for people to think of this as a very dangerous place. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. And they left him half dead. And they left him in a state of need. So this is the neighbor. This person Jesus puts forward, it's like, okay, here is who your neighbor is. It's this person that's near you that has a need. It's the person you would see as you're going on your way in your everyday life. People did not go out of their way to go notice or ignore this person that was half dead. No, they're actually going from Jerusalem to Jericho or from Jericho to Jerusalem, whichever way they were traveling. And they, on their way, there was a neighbor. Let me ask you a question. As we're talking about this loving your neighbor, Who is your neighbor? Like in your life, who are the people, the five, six, seven people that you see every day or that you see most days of the week that you know has needs? Well, everybody that you see has needs, so you can just kind of scratch that one off the list. Who are your neighbors? And it could quite literally be your actual physical neighbor. Sometimes, you know, we're reading passages like this and I'm like, okay, who is my neighbor? And I'm trying to think really hard. Like, okay, who do I see during the week? Is there going to be like a sign, like something over this person's head? And certainly if someone's beat in the side of the road, I would know like, okay, that's actually my neighbor. I need to help them. Uh, But it could quite literally be your physical neighbor. Who is in the apartment next to you? Who is in the house next to you? The condo next to you? Who is your neighbor? This is the kind of um, identification that's so important when you think about who you're supposed to love because God has put you where you live, where you work, and where you play to show love to the neighbor. Now, uh, there's a quote by Martin Luther, uh, different than Martin Luther King, just to be clear. Uh, this is a uh, theologian many hundreds of years ago. Uh, he, he said this about neighbor. He said, the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor, and since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. <laughs> so if you're married, there's your first one right there. Your neighbor is the person maybe sitting right next to you. We all must be conscious of like who are our neighbors because the Bible says eight times we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. I cannot ignore my neighbors. And some of the easiest ones to ignore are those that are... Hurting not externally, like this man that Jesus is talking about, but the ones that are hurting internally. There, there are wounded, injured people around us every single day that are so easy to ignore. But what we're saying here is that we must love our neighbor. And you know, truthfully, we don't always get to choose who our neighbors are. In our where we live, there are some neighbors that we really love loving, and there are other neighbors that are more difficult to love. But you know what? We get to love all of them intentionally. So there's this man, Jesus is telling the story, he has been beat, left for dead. There's three people going to come down the street and they're going to see him. The first two are going to ignore him. The first one is talked about in in verse 31, now by chance a priest. What would you think of if you read the word priest in this passage? You heard Jesus saying, you would assume that the priest is going to stop. And the way it's written, the hope is raised by the hearer. We expect the priest to love others, right? This is God's man. He's got a religious title. So my chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This priest, as a representative of God, should help, but he did not show love. Now, any kind of a cursory glance in the New Testament would tell you one issue in the first century among religious people is that there are people that were externally religious, so they had religious titles, but their hearts were empty. Their hearts were far from God. And this may have been one of those priests. This may be one of the reasons that Jesus mentioned this person first. The reader or the hearer would expect the priest to stop, but the priest doesn't. The priest passes on by. Which makes me think, you know, religious titles are meaningless without actual loving acts. And you would say, well, I don't have a religious title. I'm not a pastor. And I would say, no, you do have a religious title because on your Instagram, there's like the cross. (laughs) Or your Snapchat or whatever. There's like the cross. You are taking on a title of like, I am a Christian. I am a, I'm a person of faith. And truthfully, that doesn't matter unless your life is willing to demonstrate your faith by loving your neighbor. Religious titles of any sort are meaningless. So the priest passes by. Then verse 32, we read about a Levite. This Levite is an assistant to the priest in the temple. And and the Levite is also expected love. So he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now this ought to strike us because the tension is mounting. The priest sees him, should have stopped, passes by. The Levite sees him, should have stopped, passes him by. The Levite and the priest work together in the temple. And something that occurred to me as I was reading this passage is that the way that you love your neighbor will be multiplied in the lives of the people around you. Especially those that you lead. So who knows, did the priest influence the Levite? Did the Levite influence the priest? Who knows? But neither of them have the way of God in their hearts that makes them willing to stop and love their neighbor. So the priest passes by, he's got a religious title. The Levite passes by, he's been influenced somehow to ignore this person and, um, and it matters because the way you love your neighbor will be multiplied in the lives of those that you lead. We all have an opportunity every single day to love our neighbor. We're about to read about the Samaritan in the way that the Samaritan loved the neighbor. But, you know, I was reading uh, this week in my study, uh, there's a, a fairly popular Christian social just, justice advocate, a guy named Shane Claiborne. So if you've been around the church world for a couple of decades, you might remember that name. And I, I don't, I'm not like into everything that he says, but one thing that uh, he talks about in one of his writings is uh, a summer that he spent with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, Indian. And he wrote about his experience of working alongside Mother Teresa. And here's what he says. He says, people often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. But she was short, wrinkled, and precious, maybe even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there is one thing I will never forget, and that's her feet. Her feet were deformed each morning in mass, which is like a Catholic religious ceremony, he said, each morning in mass, I would stare at them. I wonder if she had contracted leprosy, like what's going on with her feet? And But I wasn't gonna ask, hey, Mother Teresa, what's wrong with your feet? And, and one day, uh, one of the sisters came to him and said, have you noticed Mother Teresa's feet? And the sister began to explain that her feet are deformed because as that impoverished community in the slum of Calcutta gets shoes from around the world, people donating it, she always sorts through the pile to find the worst pair. Because she didn't want anybody else, any of these other kids, to feel like they didn't get something better than the worst pair. It was her way of serving and loving her neighbor. This is the kind of way of following Christ that I think Jesus has in mind, of identifying the needs of others in in a way that would make sense to them, demonstrating love. In verse 33, Jesus goes on in a story and he says, but a Samaritan. Now you should know that the Samaritans uh, were scorned by the Jews. The Samaritans ethnically and the Jews ethnically were like, they did not like one another. Had to do because of their history. So when Jesus is telling this story in an area where it's mostly Jews listening, and he says, but a Samaritan, no one would have expected this Samaritan to actually help the person that had been beaten and left for dead. He's not expected to help anyone. But Jesus, in the way that he did many times, he flips the script, he turns it upside down. Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Remember, this is the question on the table. The lawyer is asking Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus is saying, The neighbor is the person who is near you who has a need. And the way that you love them is showing them mercy in whatever way they need. Verse 37 Jesus says, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So here's a story when Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? And the question on the table for you is, who is your neighbor? So this series that we're in is called Start Stronger. And each week I've tried to give you just one thing to walk away with. And And to tell you that if you'll do this one thing this year, even as we begin the year, that you'll start stronger than you ever have before. And today the start stronger is this, is just as you need love, you get to love your neighbor showing the way of God. You get to choose today that you will open up your eyes, see your neighbor, whoever it is. Maybe it's somebody that lives next to you. Maybe it's somebody that's in this uh, group right here. Maybe it's somebody that you'll meet this week. You get to show love. And just as you need love, the people around you need love. And the way that God does it, and this is quite remarkable, is we get to actually, in the way that we're showing love, be the love of God to people. We get to demonstrate love to people. So as we think about this story, just three things, and I'll begin to bring it to a close, but the Samaritan showed love to his neighbor by doing these three things, which I'll encourage you to do this week also. First of all, the Samaritan showed love to his neighbor by paying attention. He allowed the need of this hurting person to interrupt his life. He didn't just give one day, he actually gave two days to him. And something that occurs to me, especially for our community, because all of us are busy, are running fast, living at a very high, uh, kind of high RPM, is that at times we don't notice our neighbors because we cannot afford to let our lives get disrupted. And what I would say to you is that if you cannot have a disruption in your life when God brings a need to you, then you have a problem. Because you're going to miss out on life's most meaningful, important, and really uh, exciting things during the week. So you've got to open up your eyes and pay attention to the needs around you. There are needs that your spouse has. There's needs that your kids have, and certainly those would count as your neighbors. There are needs that your actual physical neighbors have. There are needs that somebody that you work with has. And anytime you're going to take time to love your neighbor and heed the second greatest commandment in the Bible, you should know it will disrupt your life and that's okay. You can have your life disrupted and truthfully, that would be really a great gift for some of us. You gotta pay attention to the needs that are around you. Pay attention to who God brings into your life. And the second thing that this uh, Samaritan did is that He sacrificed convenience. He allowed his own convenience and comfort to be set aside for the well-being of another person. This is the essence of the Christian gospel. This is, in fact, a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus empties himself, becomes a man, walks on the earth, goes to the cross, dies for sin, is inconvenienced on our behalf so that we can experience the love of God this is the Christian gospel. So we live out of that. We allow ourselves to be inconvenienced. We sacrifice comfort and security and convenience so that we truly can be like the Samaritan and care for the needs of the people that are all around us. And again, this could be someone that's physically injured, but it also, and more likely and more often would be people that are injured on the inside. They have needs on the inside. And you know, the, the way that you get to know them is you enter into relationships with those people and you listen to them and you take interest in them and you care for them and then over time you get to know their needs where do they need to be bandaged at what point can you speak a word of love and kindness and truth from God's word on behalf of God to them to 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 bandage them up so to speak but all of that requires you to be willing to be inconvenienced I wonder how many of you have so tightly organized your life And so built your life around your own comfort that any thought of being inconvenient so that someone else can experience the love of God to you is like shocking. Trust me. One of the best things that will happen to you this week is when you see the need of another person and you allow yourself or you go for the, okay, I'm gonna love them even though it disrupts my day. Do it. You won't regret it. And the third thing that this man did is that he took ongoing responsibility for the needs He didn't just say, okay, here's a dollar. You know, good luck. No, he took ongoing responsibility. He identified the needs. He allowed his life to be disrupted and inconvenienced. And then he said, how can we put together something here so that you can, over a period of time, get better and better and better? And oftentimes that requires ongoing intentional relationships. So you say to me, Russell, I want to start stronger this year. What do I do? Today, I'm saying to you that you'll start stronger when you allow God to disrupt your life so that you can see the needs of those that are around you that are your neighbors, and then you absolutely must commit to loving them in whatever way they need it. And you say, okay, so, so okay. with all that, what do I do? Specifically, what do I do? Here's the call to action. What I want you to do is I want you to write down the names of 10 neighbors. And it could be, you know, put your spouse on there, put your kids on there. Yeah, that'd be great. You get, you're already there, part of the way. Um, and then your your actual literal neighbors. Who lives right next to you? I wonder how many of you live next to people you don't even know their names. That's a problem. And then think about who are the other people that God has put in your life that have needs they 're like the the person beat on the side of the road, or maybe even as I speak someone 's bringing a coworker to mind and go, "You know what maybe that 's the neighbor that i 'm supposed to love this week. So what I want you to do is write the names of those neighbors, and then I want you to commit to praying for one a day when to commit for, to praying for one a day at least one a day you can pray for more you won 't be in trouble if you pray for two, you know, but pray for at least one a day and pray specifically for a need in their life, and that God would give you the resource, it's time, or money, or energy, or wisdom, whatever that is, that God would give you the resource to help meet that need in your life. And you say, well, I have neighbors, I, don't, I know their names, but I don't know their needs. And I would say to you, it's like, well, then you need to get to know them personally. And here's the deal, this isn't like optional. For those of you that are in here that you've crossed over the line of faith and you're a Christian, this is called Christian living, This isn't like, uh, uh, well, I'm going to decide whether or not I'm actually going to love my neighbor. No, that's not how it works. If you're in Christ, you are actually commanded to love your neighbor. So if you choose not to love your neighbor, then I would say you might not even be a Christ follower. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm just trying to be honest. So what I would say to you is make a list of 10 neighbors. Write their names down. If you don't know who you're actual literal neighbors are then just just put in there you know i don't know you know weird guy in 103b you know whatever until you find his name and then stay away from him actually um, but uh write him down and then start praying for one a day and just see what god does don't you know that if you were to come here and we were to open the scriptures and sing this song and, and I was to give you something and you were like, oh yeah, well that church is nice and the, 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 you know, the music's good and the vibe's good and all this kind of stuff. But if I was to keep from challenging you to actually live out your faith once you left this wall these walls, it might be a waste of your time. This is the kind of stuff that can be transformative not only for you, but for your neighbors. And if we all get intentional about loving our neighbors... And you know what will happen in this community is the very thing that we all dream of. And that is that there will be a spark of revival where people will see Jesus for who he is. And people that are far from God will be reconciled to God. People that are hurting and broken and need a restoration will be restored to God. All of these things will happen as soon as we begin to take the little step of loving our neighbor. Will you do it? I hope so. Let's pray on and think about these things. So with your head bowed, who comes to mind that is your neighbor? Maybe you just moved here. And you're kind of like, well, I don't don't really know anybody. Um, So that might be your prayer, like, God, you know, give me an opportunity to meet, meet anybody and my neighbor's. Who are those people? Some people come to my mind that are near me often but I've just gotten used to ignoring. Sometimes our neighbors can be kind of difficult to love but we ought still to, to work to love them. Who are your neighbors? Who will be on that list for you? What time of the day will you pray for that one person? Hopefully it's early in the morning. So Christians, be thinking about that, but I want to talk specifically to those of you that have never crossed over the line of faith. Do you know that uh, the beauty of the Bible is that it tells the true story of Jesus laid down his life for you. He was beaten and bruised. While at the same time, he is the one that makes a way for you to be rescued. And so what you must wrestle with is what will you do when you stand before God someday? What will you do to give an account for your life? Will you you try to say, you know, I've lived a pretty good life and and you and I both know that it's not perfect. What I'm saying to you is that God loves you so much that He sent Jesus to die for your sins so that you could have your sin forgiven and you can be reconciled to God. So that when you stand before Jesus the judge someday, He will look at you not as a sinner separated from Him because of your sin, He'll look at you as a, His child, your sin erased. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible. So today, what I would encourage you to do, if your heart is stirred by the Holy Spirit, tell God in prayer, God, I'm a sinner. I've been separated from you because of my sin. I want my sin forgiven. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. In that little prayer, there's an exchange that happens where your sin goes to Jesus on the cross. His righteousness comes to you. No longer are you an enemy of God, but you become a friend of God. So I want to encourage you to think about that. And if you want to talk about that and kind of maybe you have questions that have accumulated over the years about the Christian faith, I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you. Just let me know. Lord God Almighty, we love you and we want to respond. God, I, I don't I don't want any of us to hear this passage in the story of the Good Samaritan, which is is familiar to many of us and, and we've heard it and thought yeah that's a good idea so many times in our lives but maybe not really organize our life around the two greatest commandments so God today I I pray in the name of Jesus Christ in the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be a people who say that loving our neighbor is not optional to the Christian faith it is the essence of it so God help us to do that to embrace that to respond to that God, would you bring people in my life this week that I can notice their needs and God, I would allow my life to be disrupted so that I can show love to the neighbor. I pray the same for this beautiful group of people. We love you, Lord, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.